and encourage filmmaking in northeastern Maine. More information at rivercitycinema.com or 358-9396. Announcing a new show on WERU called Rhyme the Reason. Tuesdays 10 to midnight, right after Southern Wind. Diverse Freeform Radio. I hope you can make it. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and Opera House Arts at the Stonington Opera House with a schedule of concerts, theater, live family entertainment, and first-run movies. Tickets and information at operahousearts.org. Who stands for truth, justice, and the American way? It's Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and on the web at weru.org. Support for WERU comes from Easterly Wine of Belfast, Maine, an independent enterprise that supports free speech, democracy, and independent media. We have just about 45 seconds before Maine Currents comes our way. Let's take a quick look at the weather while we're waiting. Sunny today with a high of 54. We're at 56 here in East Orland. Partly cloudy tonight with a low of 39. Tomorrow, Wednesday, sunny and 64. Wednesday night, 45 and clear. And Thursday, sunny and 66. Oh, nice stretch. Thursday night, 48, mostly clear. Sunny on Friday, 63 degrees. And Friday night, mostly clear to 40, getting a little chillier again. By the way, it was 32 when I woke up. Katie said it was 31 when she got up at 6.30. Saturday, sunny and 64. Stay tuned now for main Currents coming right your way. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture for Tuesday, October 17th, 2017. I'm Amy Brown. Lawrence Reichert is with us for the first half of the show today, and some of you will know him as a, an occasional contributor here at WERU. Uh, we teamed up for election night coverage in 2016. Who could forget that? Who won? <laughs> you left. <laughs> that was I had good to reason. announce that. Uh, he has also uh, produced specials here from time to time. And others of you may recognize his name from the column Bricks and Mortars, which runs in the Republican Journal and can also be found at villagesoup.com. He's a journalist as well who has written for several different publications. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But Brooks, Bricks and Mortars has just been awarded the Maine Press Association Award for the Best Opinion Column for a Maine weekly newspaper for 2016-17. And it won or placed in the top three the previous two years as well. So Lawrence is joining us today to talk about his columns and take your calls. Welcome back, Lawrence. Thank you. And it's great to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's very kind of you. It's great to be here as it always is. Yeah, and you're on the other side of the table now, so you're not as a producer. You can give your opinions. You can read some of your columns because they are opinion-y. Great. My opinion is that they're all wrong and I'm right. Uh, but that's a good starting point. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners may correct you, but we'll see. Uh, and Lawrence's uh, readers have, he's let some of them know that he'll be here. So if you are one of his readers or somebody who knows Lawrence and has read the columns or just have a question in general, you can call in at any time. This segment's just the first half of the show, so don't wait until, uh, don't wait too long to call in. If you do have a question, the number is 469-0500. Again, 469-0500. But for those of you who have not had a chance to read any of Lawrence's columns, he's going to start with a sample from one of them just to give you kind of an idea of what his writing is like. Okay, great. Um, this column is called Bicycling Through Zoos. I recently went to see The Zookeeper's Wife. The film tells the story of a couple that successfully hid in a zoo 300 Polish Jews from the German army in World War II Warsaw. The opening scene is charming. The zookeeper's wife is riding through the zoo on her bicycle, saying hello to and checking on all the animals. And a juvenile camel is running after her. Then the bombs start falling. The film reminded me of some extraordinary Jews I have known who escaped the Nazi army. Lisa Fitko, who lived next to my father in Chicago. Lisa fought pitched battles with fascists in the streets of Berlin during the Nazi rise to power in the 1930s. And she went on to smuggle Jews, including the philosopher Walter Benjamin, across the Pyrenees from occupied France to safety in Spain during the war. 
Barack Obama lived a few doors down from Lisa and my father when he was an Illinois state senator. Obama liked and admired Lisa, and he attended Lisa's 90th birthday party, as did I. Gusty Coleman, a long-distance runner who literally ran after and chased down the vehicle Nazis in Vienna, used to take away her husband, Eric. Gusty and Eric escaped to this country, and Eric later became a teaching colleague of my father. Gusty is now 104 years old and lives in Iowa City. Peter Lax, who, with his parents, escaped Budapest just in time and went on to work on the Manhattan Project and to win the Abel Prize, the most prestigious mathematics prize in the world. Peter lives in Manhattan. He turned 91 on Monday. Then I thought about my country. Could fascism take hold in my country? Nazi Germany wasn't born in a day. Like any kind of state, it takes a while to form and to seize power. And I thought about this. At what point is it reasonable, sane, and rational? At what point is it not hysterics or overreaction to think one's own country may be drifting toward fascism? All right. And that is not where that ends, but that's just a sample of that. I had you read that one because that got a lot of reaction on social media. Did you hear from a lot of people about that, Colin? Um, yeah, I did. I, I have an email list that I send um, all my columns out to, and uh, folks are more than welcome uh, to send me an email if they'd like to be on that list. Um, I, my email is lreichard at gmail.com. You should that, spell Reichard. Yes, uh, R-E-I-C-H-A-R-D. In any event, um, I got a lot of response to that, yes, um, it, uh, and it's one of my favorites. And uh, I unfortunately, I couldn't submit it for this year's uh, Maine Press Association Award uh, because it came out too late, but um, maybe maybe I'll, I'll put it in next, next year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that still available somewhere? Can people find a copy of that to read the rest of it? Or if they email you, can you send it? I, I can send it to them. It's in the archives of villagesoup.com, uh, but I believe one has to pay to access it, unfortunately. Okay. I wish that weren't the case. Okay. So most of your writing, though, this one is uh, uh, evocative and it's pretty serious. And almost all of your writing that I've read in this column has had like a dry sense of humor kind of tinge to it, even when you're dealing with really serious issues. Is that more like your authentic voice, do you think? That yeah. I, I know I, in person it kind of is. I, some, of the, some of the pieces are entirely serious, as you just said. I mean, a lot of my pieces, they're basically serious, but there's a humor in that often humor and, and sometimes a fair amount of humor. And then I also write pieces that are, are, are entirely humorous, or at least I like to think so. Um, and, and actually the first time that I submitted work for the Maine Press Association Award, um, one of the pieces, of the two pieces that I submitted was, in fact, entirely humor. And so I guess the Maine Press Association liked it. So I appreciated that, too. Is that, do you have one that you can read a little uh, snippet from just to give a sense of that style of yeah, Ready? sure. I, I've got one here um, about when I worked as a paralegal um, in Texas on the Mexican border and um, refugees were pouring over the border into Texas in the early 80s, fleeing the uh, largely U.S. manufactured wars in, uh, in Central America. And someone called the law office and asked whether someone from the uh, – someone called from Dallas and said, could someone rush to Nuevo Laredo right over the uh, – uh, border from Laredo, Texas, and slip $300 to their son from, who's from El Salvador. He was going to be deported in the morning, and they wanted him to have funds to try to make it um, immediately back back to try again to get to Dallas. So I, I rode all night on a bus to go do this. And um, I hooked up in Laredo with a Chicano activist who told me that in the Mexican prison, one can visit only immediate family members and you can't give anything to the inmates. And so here I was a gringo pretending to be an immediate family member of a Salvadoran and how was I going to give him 300 bucks? So this is just a, a little bit from that piece. The object of my visit entered the room, accompanied by another guard. 
cousin, cousin, I immediately called out from across the room, just as a Latino cousin would. How good to see you, I exclaimed. A puzzled look crossed his face. He'd never seen this cousin before. But fortunately, he was a quick one, and the puzzled look didn't linger long. One doesn't make it from El Salvador to Nueva Laredo undocumented without some street smarts. He returned my jubilant greeting from across the room, and as we approached each other with great enthusiasm, I cupped the $300 in my right hand and passed it on to him as we shook hands with great gusto. When he felt the paper in my hands, another puzzled look crossed his face, but again it was, to my considerable relief, short-lived. Mission accomplished. I got out of the prison without getting arrested myself, and Raul and I went out for a celebratory breakfast. I rode the day bus back to Harlingen, picked up the wired $300, and a few weeks later the phone rang again. It was the couple from Dallas. Their son had made it to them in Dallas, and for a while it seemed their thanks would never end. <laughs> You know, I half expected that one to end, that you gave the money to the wrong prisoner. <laughs> I just no. thought that was what the phone call was going to be about. No, I, I, I did that right. <clears throat> but you spent a lot of time in Central America, and so and you're getting ready to head back. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, that's not certain yet, but oh, okay. I, I may be going down to Guatemala to cover the uh, retrial of former dictator Efrain Rios Montt, um, who's on trial for, I'm not sure exactly what the charge is, but for his involvement in the massacre of some uh, 273 indigenous people. Um, so I, I'm, I'm work, just started working on that today, trying to scrounge up some, uh, some work, some news outlets that are interested so that I can go down and do that. Last winter you were there and you were reporting from there as well. For Yes, the last couple of winters, actually. Um, I, two winters ago, I covered um, a trial known as Sepur Zarco, um, which was a landmark human rights case um, in, in Guatemala. Um, and, I, and I covered that in my column. And then this last winter, another case known as the Tisen case. Um, Weren't you kind of pointed out in the courtroom in one of these or singled out? <laughs> you tell that story that showed up and yeah, sure. That was actually that was one of my columns too. The Molina Tayson, that that's the name of that case. You know, people can Google these things if they're if they're interested. Um, but in any event, yes, that actually that was pretty funny. Um, I, the title of that column was J'accuse, and um, even though that's French, but in any event. Um, let me see if I can reconstruct that. Um, the the defense was doing their op open ar opening arguments, and some of the things that they were saying were really quite ludicrous. And so people in the audience were heckling them, basically. Or no, one person I believe was, and um, and so the first time the the heckling uh, happened, the defense didn't do anything. The second time it happened, that one of the defense, uh, uh, other defense lawyers stood because there were various defense lawyers stood up and very dramatically said, "Your Honor, we do not need the interruptions of the bald man in blue." And he wheeled <laughs> and pointed right at me, and I had a blue shirt on, and. It was it, it was great. It was hilarious because everyone around me guffawed because they knew that I hadn't done it, and it was it was great for me because um, I, I instantly I knew that was the lead for my story. <laughs> the bald man in blue. Yes, you have a new nickname. <laughs> Again, listeners uh, and readers, uh, we're talking with Lawrence Reichert, and if you are a reader of his column, Bricks and Mortars, give us a call if you have any questions or comments. You want to tell him how much you like his columns, or, I, you know, he's not on social media, so he probably doesn't get all the uh, trolls. So if you want to troll him, you could probably do that as long as you do it with the correct language. 469, he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I am so off Four, of six, social nine, media. Four six nine oh five hundred. Yeah, call in if you have any comments or questions. Well, we have Lawrence here in the first half hour of Main Currents today here on WERU. Yeah, you're off social media, so I have reposted some of these, and they do get a lot of reaction, uh, a lot favorable re response from people when I repost uh, your columns on social media. What does the Republican Journal hear from people? Do they get any complaints? Do people want you to, you know, write about other things? Um, Stop being so lefty? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. Um, I, uh, 
I'm actually kind of disappointed. There's not an enormous amount of reaction. People can post comments on the website, uh, uh, villagesoup.com, and and people do. And and I always like that, even if they're against me. (laughs) Okay. Getting some kind of feedback. Yeah, yeah. But but actually... um, the the biggest most memorable complaint was from uh, state senator and Senate President Mike Thibodeau, um, who called. He's now running for governor. Ah, I didn't. As know of today, through that in the ring. Ah, yeah. well, that should make for some columns. <laughs> but no, I um, yeah, I he called up my editor and complained that I had represented myself as a straight news reporter as opposed to a columnist, and and I actually wrote about that. Um, because that's ridiculous. I've, I've been a journalist for 35 years. I know the difference between a state, straight news reporter and a columnist. I have been both. And, um, and for him to do – I entitled the column that I wrote about this, I entitled it Thuggish Behavior because that's what I believe it is. Um, Let's yes. hold that thought and hopefully we can get yeah. back to that. Uh, we have a call though. MJ from Belfast has uh, called 4690500 for main currents. Welcome, MJ. Hi, Amy, and hi, Lawrence. I just called in to say how greatly and deeply I appreciate you, Lawrence, for your columns every week or every other week. Thank goodness, as a counterpoint to the one that runs when yours isn't there, um, Lawrence's columns are insightful, intelligence, uh, in-depth, and he speaks truth to power all the time, and it's not just here in the United States, and he is a gem, and I am like, I just got in the car and heard that you were on, and I thought, I am calling. So thank you. He's fantastic. If you guys out there haven't read him, pick up a Republican journal or go online and read Bricks and Mortars. Thanks, Gratitude. MJ. Bye-bye. Uh, well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. It's very heartwarming, and it's, the, it's comments like that that keep me going sometimes. So getting back to what you were touching on, though, the difference between you know, putting on your straight journalist hat. You worked for Paper in Long Island, right? You were like full-time uh, reporter. Staten Island. Staten right, Island, right. okay. Yes, and I was. you've written for other uh, publications that presumably want just straight news. Yes. And then shifting gears to doing uh, opinion. Do you feel like you can do both at the same time? Can you submit to some publications some straight news pieces and not be compromised by the fact that your opinion is elsewhere? Do we have to follow those old rules of pretending that you don't have any opinions about things? No, I, I think that's ridiculous. Yes, I'm perfectly capable of doing straight news. In fact, I've you know I've done a fair amount since I started this column, and I don't think it's ever gotten in the way. I've never heard anyone say that it seems to be getting in the way, um, and 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 even. Even within the context of the column itself can be a forum for straight news. It doesn't necessarily have to be opinion. Well, I mean, some people appreciate that type of uh, column because it presents information in a more interesting, more readable, entertaining kind of format. I think that's why looking at some of the Comedy Central, quote unquote, news programs that we're so successful that uh, people of certain age demographics get or at some point got more of their news from those than they did from what people who are older considered to be straight news because they were getting the information, but they were getting it in a way that didn't bore them to death right. or wasn't so uh, – with so many different options of things to entertain them, that at least drew them in. Well- well, I, I mean, I've been doing this for three years, and uh, but the before column. that, the column. Yeah. But before that, I was a straight news reporter and freelancer for thirty years, and um, and I really love doing the column for precisely that reason because I can make it colorful. Um, it, which is something that that is more limited in in doing straight news, and and so that's that's a lot of fun. Um, and just getting back for a moment to um, the notion of putting straight news in a column, I mean, and, and getting back to the column thuggish behavior about Mike Thibodeau, I mean, I think that was legitimate actual news. I think that when, when a, a state senator, particularly a state senate president, calls up one's employer and, 
and literally puts the the employment, the job, the livelihood of an employee at, essentially at risk. All the page has done the same thing. Right. It, not with reporters. But. Yeah, that's thuggish behavior, in my opinion. And and it's also news. It's legitimate news. I think that peop, voters um, ha, ha, should know th- things like that, should, should know who they're voting for or, or against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your column is every other week. It's going to be... Uh, next week is the next one comes that, out? That's correct. And if you have any ideas, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that answers no, my next question. No, actually, I have too many ideas. Um, yeah, how do you come up with that? There used to be this uh, columnist in Portland that reminds me a little bit of the, your writing style many, many years ago. I think he's still around, but I haven't read him in a long time. But he would write from time to time about how he was at, before there was a brew pub on every corner, how he was at the local brew pub and some of the content that ended up in his column was from political discussions that were taking place over a couple of beers. Uh, where do you go to think? Well, I mean, just a few moments ago, I read Bicycling Through Zoos, and, you know, I got that from going to see the movie, and I was walking home in the evening, and it just struck me, hey, that could be a good point of departure for column to discuss the possibility of, of fascism in the United States, um, which to me seems timely. Um, and sometimes they just hit me out uh, like a bolt out of the blue. And I, I often get some of my best ideas hiking, actually. Hmm. And then, of course, you know, reading the newspaper. Um, do watch, you watch any network news? I, I do. I do. Not not religiously. I'm not a religious man. But <laughs> <laughs> I can. I just I think it, one of the problems would be just narrowing it down. There's uh, well, so much. Yeah. I I keep I I have a email folder with uh, story ideas, and I've probably got 20 active ideas in there. Um, some of some of which you know their shelf life is probably expired, but others uh, whose shelf life may never expire for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one I can give you a few examples. I mean, I think a, a terribly underreported story in this country is the destruction that we're wreaking upon the uh, the state of Yemen. Um, it just absolutely, utterly destroying it. Um, you know, we still got Guantanamo going. Uh, this was on Democracy Now! the other day. Uh, one prisoner, 15 years without being charged. Um, you know, these these are just horrendous things mm. yeah, that are underreported. Point is that become kidnapping? Well, a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Looks like we may have another caller coming in. This will be the last call that we have time to take because we only have about three minutes left to this segment. So we'll try to fit in a quick call. And uh, this is uh, from Yo, briefly, because we have about three minutes left to the program. Yo, welcome to Main Currents. Thank you. Here's my question. Is it news if the question is what, when, or where, and opinion when it's who, how, and why? Hmm. Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Thanks, Joe. Well, that's a good last question. I think he's getting at what the subjective, like the artificial difference between like the objective observable versus the subjective stuff and dividing what's opinion versus what's news into those categories. Well, sir, you know, certainly um, in an in, in opinion column, it's easier to get into the question of, of why. Um, but I, I don't know. My initial reaction to that question is that all those questions cut across um, opinion and straight news. Um, certainly, um, I've answered all those questions in my column, as I stated just a few moments ago. I mean, my column is a mixture of opinion and straight news. And I, I mean, most opinion columns are. You can't write an opinion in a vacuum. <laughs> right. You've got to right. give background. You've got to give facts. And then that's your point of departure for opinions. Um, right. Well, and I, I maybe that's a discussion for another time. We'll have you back on and talk about how uh, moving ahead these things are, uh, if this artificial separation is really going to continue and in what way and uh, mm-hmm. how you're doing with keeping the two straight yourself and the two separate styles of writing that you do for different publications but we are out of time bummer yeah yeah so i but i wanted to give you a moment to just give your uh uh contact information where people can sign up for your listserv and also again where they can find your writing not just in the republican journal but in other publications as well sure um my email address is l r e i c h a r d 
at gmail.com. And if anyone wants to sign up uh, to receive my columns by email, uh, that's great. I'd love it. Um, in addition to the Republican Journal, and, and it can be found at villagesoup.com, um, I've also written a fair amount or quite a bit for Counterpunch. Um, I've written for the Progressive magazine. I was a full-time reporter for the Staten Island Advance, but that was about a million years ago. Um, I've written for In These Times. Uh, those those are some of the big ones. I've so written Google for you. the Bangor, Bangor Daily News. One can Google me, Lawrence Reichert, L-A-W. R e n c e last name R e i c h a r d. That's true. That's true. Actually, I think we've done that story. Already. It's a very flattering <laughs> mugshot, however. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll get people googling you again. Oh yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Thanks again for being with us today, it's Lawrence Reichert. He is columnist with, as we have just been saying, the Republican Journal VillageSoup.com. His award-winning column. Bricks and mortars can be found there every other week, and next time is next week. Yes, and it's been a pleasure being here. Thank you. Thanks, Lawrence. We're going to shift gears now and uh, move into a second uh, segment here on Main Currents. Our apologies to the person who was just calling and didn't get through. We just ran out of time. Um, there was a public hearing yesterday in Augusta on ranked choice voting, which might seem a little bit odd considering we already voted on that and it passed with uh, a very strong vote last November by Mainers. But way back in the nineteen in the eighteen hundreds, as we've reported previously, in a story that's really interesting itself, but we don't have time to tell today, the word majority was changed to plurality in the main constitution, and that has kind of thrown a wrench into the works of implementing the ranked choice voting law, at least for statewide elections. It actually shouldn't have an impact on national elections, but it's bringing the whole thing to a grinding halt. So yesterday in Augusta, there was a public hearing on a piece of legislation that would try to correct some of these issues. Today on Main Currents, we're going to bring you some of the testimony. This is all going to be people testifying in support of trying to pass this legislation and get this implemented because of the about four hours of testimony. I recorded about two and a half hours of it. There wasn't a single person who spoke against it. And uh, according to press releases I've received, there only was one person out of more than 100 who did speak against it, who was a main voter. So we'll hear some of what people who were testifying in support of getting this uh, piece of legislation that would forward the implementation of ranked choice voting had to say. And then at the end of this segment, we'll check in with Ann Luther of the League of Women Voters for an update. Good morning. My name is Claire Payne. I am from Holden, Maine in Penobscot County. I would like to thank the committee for the opportunity to speak today in support of LD 1646. Last June when I testified before this committee, there were two diametrically opposed bills and it resulted in a legislative standoff. Today the committee has one bill before it. Around the time of the last hearing, I regularly heard legislators raise two concerns about ranked choice voting. The first is that it was unconstitutional. LD 1646 fully resolves the constitutional issues addressed by the law court in its May advisory opinion. The second concern is what I call not in my district. Some legislators noted that RCV did not pass in their district and therefore they could not support it. Last June, when there were two competing LDs, at that time a legislator could pick the bill that reflected their district's vote. Today, there is only one bill before this committee. It's now time for all legislature, legislators, as required by the Constitution, to discharge to the best of their abilities the duties incumbent upon them and see that the referendum vote is implemented. I am dedicated to seeing RCV through because I believe we must do all we can to engage Mainers in the electoral process. While I am a registered Republican, I don't care in which party one enrolls or they are unenrolled. I just want Mainers to vote. While it's easy to give platitudes to our right to vote, that right doesn't mean much unless we exercise our right to vote. I'm particularly concerned that younger voters don't vote in the numbers they should. I see RCV as a way to bring more people in to vote on Election Day because of the additional choice they will have in the process. 
Well, I suspect the members of this committee understand that RCV is the current law in Maine. I don't believe the public fully appreciates that, and I'm not sure all of the members of the legislature recognize that. As stated by the law court, there is no uncertainty to the status of this act. It is in effect. The failure to pass LD 1646 will likely lead to disruption of the 2018 elections and needless litigation. There is a path forward. By enacting LD 1646, the legislature has the opportunity to correct the constitutional infirmities of last November's vote and at the same time validate the referendum process recognized by our state constitution. I am a pragmatist. I urge the committee to support LD 1646 and see to its immediate implementation. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Payne. Uh, are there any questions from the committee? Thank you. Seeing none, thank you. Representative Lucchini and Senator Mason and members of the Veterans and Legal Affairs Committee. I'm Dale McCormick and I'm a former state senator and I represented District 18. I served with Senator Carpenter. Uh, all around Augusta is District 18. It's been the tradition in Maine um, that when an issue is passed by the voters in referendum, that the legislature doesn't mess with it. I remember back in the 1980s when I was the head of what is now Equality Maine, and we were working on a civil rights bill to outlaw discrimination in public in housing, credit, employment, and public accommodations. And there were four, three or four referenda on that issue. And whenever one of those referenda went against us, we, the advocates, would, would for a couple of years not introduce the Civil Rights Bill, which was what we did every two years other than that. And the reason why we did that is because, not respect for the vote of the people, but because the legislators put such stock in that vote that they didn't want to be out of sync with what the voters wanted. In the case of ranked choice voting, it's the reverse. Um, the voters have overwhelmingly, as you've heard, said they want ranked choice voting. And, um, and, and, yet, and yet, the legislature has been delaying. So that's a specific case. In a larger sense, <clears throat> I worry that ignoring the votes cast by Maine voters will threaten the very foundation of our democracy. This legislature has negated all or parts of several referenda. I, I think, I'm not a historian, I think that's unprecedented. And I worry, I've already heard people express, uh, what's the use of voting? if the legislature is just going to change or negate what we voted for. That is dangerous. So please vote yes on LD 1646 and avoid any delay in implementing the seven primary and general elections that do not have a constitutional issue. And I think this path, I, I hear Senator Carpenter and others struggling with what the voters want and what you feel your duty is, but I think this this bill represents a perfect middle path. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions from committee members? Seeing none, thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is uh, Dick Pollock. Uh, my wife and I live on Munjoy Hill in Portland. One of the principal reasons we moved to Maine several years ago was our disgust with the endemic political corruption in New York City and state. For years, we admired Maine's singular ability to elect candidates, Republican, Democrat, Independent, who voted not as their party whips demanded, but as their consciences dictated. Susan Collins has done just this, to make sure that the disadvantaged, disadvantaged people of Maine are not saddled with inadequate medical care. As everyone in this room knows, 
In taking her stand, she bucked both President Trump and the fierce pressure of her fellow Republicans in the U.S. Senate. This toughness of mind is typical of Maine, as proved repeatedly over the years by Rumford's Ed Muskie, Waterville's George Mitchell, Skowhegan's Margaret Chase Smith, Bangor's William Cohen, and Augusta's Olympia Snow, among many others, past and present, whose names are not quite so neon as theirs. It's fair to say, I think, that in no other state in the Union, that no other state in the Union can boast a roster of politicians so devoted to the best interests of their constituents, often showing the way for the rest of the country. Now you have a chance to do the same by endorsing the referendum decision of your constituents. Please pass H.R. 1646 and make sure the implementation of ranked choice voting is not delayed in any way. Democracy demands no less, and in these parlous times, democracy is what at stake. Thank you, Mr. Pollack. Any questions from the committee? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Senator Mason, Representative Lakini, and members of the committee, I'm um, Donnie Tamplin from Portland. I want to add my voice in support of Representative Ackley's uh, H.R. 1646. I, like many Americans, have had my faith in our electoral system profoundly shaken. I volunteered in the 2016 primaries and at the caucus in Portland, and over those months witnessed a system whose objective in large part appears to be to disenfranchise voters. What with gerrymandering, cross-check, privately owned hackable voting machines, and other forms of voter suppression, to the casual viewer, the primary goal of U.S. elections would seem to be to keep the voters' intentions secret and unfulfilled. This is a major reason why election integrity laws need to be put into place. It is also a vitally important reason why, when the citizens have voted in favor of such laws, their yes votes should be seen to be honored. Ranked choice voting should move ahead immediately in 2018, both with passage of the Ackley Bill and with a constitutional amendment to remove the plurality clause in the state constitution. Let us take this first step to reverse the tide of justifiable skepticism and distrust in our electoral system. Thank you. Thank you. Cushing Sam. Senator Mason, Representative Lucchini, members of the committee. Thank you very much for the opportunity to appear uh, today and test, uh, to support LD 1646. Um, I believe with all my heart and soul that the legislature has an obligation to pass this legislation as originally drafted without amendment and to pass it immediately. I volunteered to work on the passage of the referendum as soon as I first heard about it. I knew that the Maine, that Maine's plurality voting system resulted in a system of governance that was irretrievably broken. An elected official can work towards bipartisanship and consensus if he or she has the authority that only comes from being elected by a majority of the voters. Plurality voting has failed us. I worked hard for the passage of this referendum. I collected signatures in the SACO polls all day long. By the end of the day, I could barely stand and I had no voice left. I collected signatures outside a grocery store at Sugarloaf in late December and early January until I was driven away because the ink in my pen froze. Um, I worked as a regular volunteer in the campaign offices. I made hundreds of calls. I stuffed envelopes. I hosted house parties and I, I hosted three house parties myself and I organized and found hosts for house parties throughout the rest of the state. During that work, I understood that there was a possibility that we could lose the election. Maybe we didn't have the sufficient resources um, to do the job that needed to be done, or maybe we had totally overestimated the amount of anger that Maine citizens were feeling um, about the election system, but we weren't wrong. 388,272 voters agreed with us. 
I was also prepared for an unfavorable legal opinion against us. I believe, based on my own analysis and looking, looking at the myriad other very well-reasoned legal arguments, that, that the referendum was on firm constitutional um, standing. However, legal minds often differ, and here the individual justices opine that a portion of the referendum uh, violated the Constitution. But that defect, I thought, had an easy fix. Just as the legislature changed the Constitution in 1880 to include language allowing plurality voting in order to address voter anger, I assumed that the legislature would, in 2017, in the face of very similar voter anger, amend the Constitution again. After all, the main Constitution is a living, breathing instrument which has been amended innumerable times to reflect changing realities of the day. Call me stupid, call me naive, but it never occurred to me that the legislature might spit in the face of the voters and consider refusing to implement the unchallenged portions of ranked choice voting and or refuse to begin the process of amending the Constitution. I would really, really, really like to retain my belief that the will of the people demonstrated by a majority vote should be respected by the legislature. LD 1646 must pass. The anger in 2017 is intent, as intense as it was in 1880. It has just been expressed in a law-abiding manner. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, questions from the committee? And we'll just... And we'll remind everybody not to clap and cheer so we can move through this and everybody can hear. This isn't a baseball game. So that was one of the chairs of the legislature's Veterans and Legal Affairs Committee reminding the people who gathered there to talk about this at this public hearing yesterday that it wasn't a baseball game. The chairs often chastise the public in such a manner. Um, so you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. This is some of the testimony at a public hearing yesterday on a bill that would help with the implementation of ranked choice voting. Mainers voted strongly in favor of RCV last November. Here's Good afternoon, Senators and Representatives. My name is Cormac Manning. I was born in the United States, grew up in Ireland, and at the moment I'm studying at the University of Maine in Orono. I'd like to speak about the experience of ranked choice voting in Ireland, which has used a version of it for almost 100 years. It's a different version to that which was enacted by Maine voters, but there are similarities that I'd like to talk about today. I have been involved myself in a variety of Irish political campaigns and can say firsthand that ranked choice voting works for a number of different reasons. Firstly, ranked choice voting has been popular with voters. Um, there have been two referendums in Ireland uh, where the government attempted to remove it, but the people liked it and both times voted to keep it. Um, votes can be counted locally, um, so it's completely, in Ireland they're counted by hand, but it's also quite possible to count them by machines, so um, whichever way. We heard talk earlier about um, the delays involved, and that's actually um, over time became one of the most popular aspects of it, um, as for example the day in which counting was on was a day in which people discussed politics with their neighbours and friends and colleagues, um, and actually instead of being a disadvantage, it's actually one of the, the reasons that people in Ireland um, decided to keep with the system, um, or it's one of, the, one of the things that contributed to it. Also, ranked choice voting helps facilitate political competition, which gives us greater freedom in choosing our representatives. And I personally cannot understand why some politicians love a free market in economics, but resist free competition in politics. Next, people do understand ranked choice voting. It does take a bit of getting used to at the start, but once voters are familiar with it, it really is as easy as one, two, three. And in fact, it's easier than to have to try and to figure out, am I going to waste my vote on this candidate? Is this candidate viable? Do I have to vote for somebody else? It's a lot simpler for a voter to simply say, your favorite, second favorite, third, and so on. To say that Maine voters will be unable to under, uh, to those who say that Maine voters will be unable to understand this, I would say that um, I have a higher opinion of my fellow citizens than that. The voters of Ireland 
Ireland, indeed the voters of Portland, have been using ranked choice voting with few difficulties. And I don't think it's the case that there's something special that the voters in Portland are somehow uniquely intelligent or capable. Next, there are fewer incentives to engage in negative campaigning under RCB. Candidates must seek second choice rankings from supporters of other candidates, which is a huge incentive to refrain from personal attacks and instead to provide voters with a positive, inspiring reason to vote for you. Um, uh, we know that negative campaigning disengages voters, but it also disengages potential candidates. So for example, uh, take an entrepreneur who looks at the torrent of negative ads and decides to stick to business instead, that it's not worth putting themselves or their family through that. And that's sad, because we need people with experience like that in the legislature. The exact same for teachers, for nurses, for all sorts of ordinary, decent people who want to contribute to public life, um, but are turned away by all this negative campaigning. My final point, in terms of partisan effect, um, what I would say is look beyond one or two election cycles. In one election year, the old system might benefit one party or another party, but in another year, it will hurt them. Um, I would ask you, please take off your partisan glasses and look at it as an American. Ranked choice voting is not about benefiting Democrats, not about benefiting Republicans. It's about benefiting democracy and about benefiting the Republic itself. Um, LD 1646 is a compromise, but I think it is the best option that we have available. The voters have spoken, senators and representatives, for the good of Maine and the United States, I would urge you please to benefit our democracy and strengthen our republic. Happy to answer any questions. Questions? Seeing none, thank you. Senator Mason, Representative Lucini, distinguished members of the Veterans and Legal Affairs Committee, fellow Mainers, good friends. I am John Silverman of Congress Street in Augusta. I support LD 1646 and oppose any potential amendments that would further delay its implementation in the seven primary and general elections that do not conflict with the plurality provision of the state constitution. In proper democracies everywhere, elections are won by majority vote. This was the way in Maine until 1875 and 1880, when, in well-intended yet misguided nods to expediency, the Constitution was, in the minds of today's voters, improperly changed to allow victory by plurality rather than majority. Maine's politics have been adrift ever since. Voting became skewed. Too often, elected officials are, not no, are known not to have a mandate. Voting becomes a process not of voicing preference for wiser candidates, but of strategizing over whether newcomers could win against incumbents. Governor LePage has said that election by plurality is simple because the person with the most votes wins. This is wrong. It is immensely complex. It forces voters who easily and intuitively rank candidates to weigh the desirability of upstarts against the difficulties of unseating entrenched incumbents and results in the majority of the public too often feeling that the government is working against them. The voters are tired of being forced to vote strategically rather than on the merits of the candidates. To fix this flaw in Maine's government, not a mere plurality, but a clear majority of Maine citizens voted for ranked choice voting. We are not confused, nor were we hoodwinked, and we are telling you how we want our elections to be conducted. If the Constitution must be modified to restore long-lost fairness in elections and confidence in government, enact whatever is required. Today's legislators have been successful at winning elections under the old system that the public no longer trusts. Who among you is willing to remain seated without the public's confidence? Ranked choice voting is your opportunity to show, cover, to show courage and leadership by allowing fair competition in elections. Let everyone, especially citizens who may vote against you, know that you have majority backing. Those who may not win re-election under the new system 
shall have the satisfaction of having faced the voters with integrity and courage and of knowing their losses were fair and contributed to comedy and confidence in government. Good luck to you all. Vote well and remember who put you in office. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Silverman. Any questions? Seeing none, thank you. Ann Luther. Good afternoon, Senator Mason, Representative Lucchini. It was morning when we started, and I really appreciate your forbearance in hearing all of this testimony on this important issue. Um, almost nothing that's in my written testimony hasn't already been covered very eloquently and with great passion by somebody else. So I'm going to skip right to the end and say that the one thing that I want to talk about is um, is right at the end. And before I get into it, I am reminded of an article that was recently co-authored by former Republican U.S. Senator Olympia Snow and former Democratic U.S. Senator John Brough, in which they both jointly called for a return to the regular order. And then they went on to make an impassioned plea for respect for due process, respect for one's political opponents, and respect for and an invitation to compromise. So with that prelude, I'd like to say that um, voters asked for this reform, ranked choice voting, under the rights granted to them under the main state constitution. We, the proponents of ranked choice voting, may not be happy with the court's decision. We may not agree with it, but we have to grant and respect their authority to decide. Some of you in the legislature may not support ranked choice voting and may not be happy with the outcome of the referendum, but we believe you have to respect the authority of voters to decide. Such respect requires you and all of us to do our best to honor the will of those voters, to honor the ruling of the court, and to find a way to balance both of those respectful demands. So I ask you don't undermine either one of them by repealing the provisions of this ranked choice voting law that are perfectly valid under the Constitution in the court opinion. The League has testified before in support of solutions like those in LD 1646 and we're here to support LD 1646 today. Supporting this approach shows the voters that you heard their call for change and have acted responsibly to honor it. It respects the will of the voters, it respects the main constitution, it respects the democratic process, and it advances the benefits for which Maine people endorse this reform. Are there hard problems to solve? Yes, there are. Are there myriad details to be worked out? Yes, many, many, and it won't be all that easy. But if we stop inflating the problems and making them bigger than they are, I believe we can find solutions that will allow us to go ahead with this in a timely manner, and I encourage you to support this bill. That's the important part of what I had to say, so thank you very much. Thank you, Ann. Any questions? Seeing none, thank you. Well, I have some questions. Unfortunately, Ann Luther of the League of Women Voters Down East is with us by phone as we wrap up Maine Currents today. Uh, welcome, Ann. Hello, Amy. Pleased to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. So that had to be a little bit of deja vu yesterday, hearing hours and hours of people arguing the merits of uh, ranked choice voting. It sounded like 2016 all over again. It was, and, and it was a remarkable turnout for a public hearing in the special session. And um, I think there might have been more people testifying today than there were uh, for the public hearing on um, on this issue during the regular session, it was a remarkable turnout and lots and lots and lots of civil, civilly articulated or passionately endorsed reform. A press release that I saw that came from the uh, ranked choice voting proponent said that uh, one person testified, one main voter testified in opposition to this legislation and that everybody else who testified was in support. I caught about two and a half hours of it. I didn't catch the very beginning. You were there for the day. Did you hear anybody uh, other than maybe that one person testify in opposition to this piece of legislation? Uh, uh, no. I mean, there was there were some equivocating testimony from one legislator, and I think there was um, uh, one actual, it was actually an RCD supporter who 
would prefer a constitutional amendment that would allow full and complete implementation. But the only outright opponent um, was the person who testified on behalf of the Maine Heritage Policy Center. So why, if I understand this correctly, this piece of legislation that the public hearing was on yesterday is just to affirm that the pieces, uh, that the elections that already are not in question, the federal elections, which aren't covered by the main constitution anyway, could be allowed to proceed, that that piece of it would roll out. Is that right? That's right. And it, it also allows ranked choice voting to apply in the primary elections for state office. So the main state constitution does not speak to the primary elections for state office either. So the, um, the proposal in LD 1546 would allow ranked choice voting to be implemented in the June primary for all the races, state house, state senate, um, main state governor, and for U.S. Congress and U.S. Senate. Um, and then it would allow ranked choice voting to be implemented in the general election for those federal elections only. The state offices would be off the table in the general election. But why is that even necessary? I mean, isn't that already a given? The law has passed, and the only thing that's really a roadblock right now is the plurality versus majority word in the Constitution that applies to main elections. So why isn't it just automatic that it's implemented for the elections that are not in question well i mean that's that's the um sort of state of play except that the law that's on the books the law that's on the books right now requires implementation of them all so the supreme court ruling or the supreme court opinion actually was not a ruling it did not strike down the law it did not sever the good portions or the bad portions and allow the rest to go forward it was an advisory opinion only, advising the legislature that there's a problem here and asking the legislature to take corrective action. So this piece of legislation would be that appropriate corrective action that would eliminate the parts that would surely be overturned by the courts if the challenge came. As of uh, this afternoon on the legislature's website, it was uh, the status of the bill was listed as not reported out. It says that a vote was taken, though, that in a divided report is anticipated. So what does that what does that mean for the future of this uh, piece of legislation? And do you have a sense of the people who would vote against implementing the parts of it that don't have any constitutional question? Uh, What's yeah. what's up with yeah. them? It was a, it was not only a divided report; it was a fractured report. There were four different reports that came out of committee, and the reason that it's labeled on the website is not reported out is simply that it won't officially be reported out until everybody signs the jacket with, with the official language. And so, um, the language for each of the four separate reports has to be physically drafted and all of the legislators have to actually sign the jacket on the report that they support and that will probably happen by Friday. But the four reports were as follows. One was LD 1646 as it stood and the league um, supported that as did five members of the committee, um, all the Democrats except Representative Lucchini. Um, Then there was a report that was ought not to pass which was supported by Senator Mason. There was a report from Senator Lucchini, which would delay implementation of the bill for two years while repealing those unconstitutional portions. And um, that would give the Secretary of State a little bit more time for implementation and to do the necessary detail problem solving. And then the last report was one from Representative Dillingham which was supported by all the Republicans except Senator Mason. And that report would have given delayed implementation of the law for another, I believe it was three years, which would be two election cycles, in hopes that a constitutional amendment could be passed that would allow the law to go forward in total. And it would repeal the entire law in the event that no such constitutional amendment could be passed within three years. 
So uh, we're just about out of time, but quickly, if people have a preference then of one of those four things, they still have plenty of time to get in touch with their legislators because this next goes to the full legislature, correct? And that will be next Monday. So it will be on the 23rd during the special session. These four reports will surely be voted on the 23rd. So this would be the week for people to call their legislators, um, you know, starting today to voice their opinion. All right. And if you want information about how to find them, you can go to legislature.maine.gov. Any quick last thoughts, Ann Luther? No, um, as long as I'm allowed to say, the League is supporting LD1646, and we hope others do as well. Okay, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Amy. Bye-bye now. Bye. And that is all we have time for today. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Lawrence Reichert was our guest earlier today. That was Ann Luther of the League of Women Voters of Down East Maine. John Greenman is our engineer. We invite you to join us here every Tuesday at 4 o'clock. And keep it tuned here to WERU. We've got Democracy Now! coming up next, followed by Jazz Alchemy and a Southern Wind here on Community Radio. WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Merrill's Bookshop, 134 Water Street in downtown Hollowell, selling fine used and rare books since 1991, usually open Tuesday through Saturday. Hours always available at 623-2055. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Here's a quick